If you've watched the news over the last few years, you've probably seen something that just broke your heart. Something that was a travesty, something that was a shocking act of injustice. We've seen some of these events towards the African-American community where a young man gets killed and we see a video of it and it's heartbreaking. It breaks us. We've seen mass shootings and it really shakes us. It's a tragedy. Over the last year, uh, there's been a peak in violence against Asian-Americans as well. This one particularly stood out to me as just tragic. An older Asian woman was sweeping her front porch and a man attacked her with a rock, and she was in a coma for weeks. These types of violence turn our stomach. And we're going to see an instance of violence that's tragic this week in the book of Acts. The, book of, the books of the gospel were eyewitness accounts of the life of Christ. But then Dr. Ru, uh, Dr. Luth, Luth, man, I'm all over the place. Ruth, Luth, let's try Luke. Dr. Luke wrote one of these gospels to tell a man named Theophilus, I get that one right, I don't get Luke right, but Theophilus was easy, uh, about the life of Jesus. And he's writing this letter and he follows up the gospel of Luke with the book of Acts. And it's all about the moving of the Holy Spirit and how they waited on the Spirit and the Spirit let them know it was time and the Spirit empowered them and they saw many people become followers of Jesus. And then persecution and oppression came. But the power of the Holy Spirit was with them. And it didn't stop them. And the followers of Jesus grew. And we saw just last week that uh, Peter and John ended up in prison for preaching the gospel. But they didn't quit. God kept using them. But the persecution wasn't over. Someone is about to get murdered. And the apostles were continuing to do the work of the Lord and God's still using signs and wonders to get people's attention to authenticate this message. The church was in one accord together, but the pressure was mounting from the religious and political leaders. And those leaders didn't feel like they could do much towards Peter and the apostles because the people of Jerusalem were so excited and they didn't want to become unpopular. And the religious and political leaders tried to put the apostles in prison again. But an angel broke them out. And people were bringing their sick and they were getting healed and people were becoming believers. But after they were uh, released from prison by that angel, they end up in the temple again. And the priests and, and the leaders there are perplexed. They're like, hey, these guys are supposed to be in prison. What are they doing back here? Are they ever going to stop? So the leaders uh, bring the apostles back in and yell at them again. We told you not to preach about Jesus. And not only that, you're blaming us for his death. And in response, Peter says this. He says, we have to obey God rather than man. And this is a pressure cooker situation. And it's not calming down anytime soon. God is moving and the Sadducees and the Pharisees keep doubling down on bad decisions motivated by their pride and their stubbornness. See, they don't want to lose power. And the gospel frees these people from the guilt 
and the shame and the fear that those Pharisees and Sadducees used to control people. Peter tells us in Acts chapter 5, he tells them, he's looking at these men, he says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are eyewitness to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Peter is not at all de-escalating this situation. He's standing before these guys that are already mad at him, and he just doubles down again. He says, God sent Jesus. You killed him. God raised him. We saw it all. And the Holy Spirit that is now empowering us to do these crazy things, he is with us, and that is a symbol of God using us. The high uh, priest and the the leaders there freak out. They aren't going to be spoken to like this. And they're ready to kill the apostles themselves. But that's where we see at the end of those verses that a Pharisee named Gamaliel says, time out, let's take a breather, let's step back. And they sent the apostles out. And Gamaliel tries to convince everyone to be careful not to make these men more influential by making them martyrs. And Gamaliel reminds these leaders of a couple of small movements in the past that just ended up fizzling out. In chapter 5, verse 38, he says this to them. He says, so in this present case, Gamaliel speaking, he says, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of a God you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Gamaliel says, if this is fake, it's going to go away on its own. But if they keep growing like this, maybe we should really ask ourselves if God is in this thing called the church. Now they still beat Peter and the apostles, but they let them go, telling them again not to talk about Jesus. These apostles had supernatural resolve for the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were bold as lions. And they were excited. The Bible tells us in this next verse, they were excited to be able to be counted worthy to suffer for the gospel just like Jesus did. In verse 41, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple... From house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. The church continued to grow. And tension continued to rise between the church and the religious and political leaders in Jerusalem. And while the church grew, there also was some tension between parties in the church. And this isn't really that uncommon for problems to arise in a group of people. But where the church is supposed to be different is by working through these issues lovingly and humbly and listening to each other while not leaning into a spirit of competition. 
So the problem here in the church was that there were Greek-speaking uh, Christian Jews in the church that were from outside of Jerusalem. And they felt like they were being ignored by the Christians that were from Jerusalem. There was these two groups. The one felt disrespected. And these two parties were racially the same, but they were culturally different. Now, was it true that the Greek-speaking widows were being ignored? I'm not sure. That was their perception. But I do know these types of cultural differences are easy targets for hurt and pain. And we need to be sure that when people come into our church from a different culture, a different background, that we are opening and welcoming maybe even more than we would normally be because we don't know what kind of baggage people have. And it's very easy to misinterpret silence. And people fill in the blanks based on their own experiences. We never want anyone to come into this church and feel ignored or unwelcome. So if you're glad they're here, tell them. Make it clear. Don't let people see your silence and think that you're uncomfortable with the fact that they have a different background. Go the extra mile to tell them that you're excited that they are here. Silence is loud. We have to let our love be louder. So these apostles knew that the church was big and they couldn't possibly fill all the physical needs of the church because they needed to prepare themselves for the huge responsibility of tending to the spiritual needs. And this is when deacons became a thing. In Acts chapter 6, verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this is the job of the pastor, to give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word and to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. I've been in the ministry for a long time, for 14 years. People have a lot of thoughts about what a pastor's job is. But they rarely ask themselves if they're doing their part as a church. So the deacons were dedicated Jesus followers that were willing to serve people physically. And that's the deacon's role here as well at CBC, to minister to people's needs because it's too big for the pastors. And if they don't do it, it won't get done. And we have some Wonderful deacons, caring deacons here in the church. If you're a deacon and you're here, go ahead and stand up. I won't make you say anything, Keith. Don't worry. We've got a couple. I know we've got some on vacation as well. Uh, here's one, Chris, Hannah, Keith Wagner, TJ Hill, I think is still on vacation, Steve Shingleton, Josh Trembley. If you know of people that need something, these are the guys to go to. You can sit down. <laughs> I'm going to make you stand the rest of the time. Is that all right? We've got some wonderful deacons, but we also could use some more. But a big part of the problem is people are confused about what deacons do. They simply find needs and fill needs. That's it. And it's the stuff that we all should be doing. They visit the shut-ins. They help people get groceries. They give people rides to the hospital. Deacons do things. And we need some people that are not looking for a title, but are ready to serve. And if you think you know someone that fits that definition, let us know. Now, don't recommend yourself. That's weird. 
And also don't be offended if Cornerstone, the appointed committee, looks at rec the recommendation closer and sees that that person might not fit the biblical requirements for a deacon. There may be situations that you're not aware of and Cornerstone can't talk about, or maybe they've been asked and they've already declined. But our goal is always to have a thriving, working, shepherding, loving, unified deacons ministry. Mainly the deacons lead by example. And they show up and they're there to serve and they're present. And they're doing the things that the church as a whole, the members should be doing. So in this first church, they choose seven deacons and it worked. People stepped up and those that felt ignored were ministered to and things increased and went great. Even many of the Jewish priests that were opposing this Jesus movement became followers of Jesus. A man named Stephen was one of the first deacons. He was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Stephen went about and ministered to people. And he did uh, things, uh, miracles, authenticating the message in this new church. But tensions between the church and the religious leaders were starting to hit a boiling point. People in the synagogue were mad. And since they couldn't win with Stephen in a legitimate argument based on facts... A couple of groups of the opposition got together to convince some people to go to the religious leaders and lie about what Stephen was preaching about. They lied and said that he was blaspheming God and that he spoke bad about Moses and the law and the temple. And he said, uh, that they said that Jesus was going to destroy the temple and mess all the traditions up. Well, the religious leaders couldn't have all that, so they went and grabbed Deacon Stephen and they brought him before the council of religious and political leaders known as the Sanhedrin. But as Stephen stood there and looked, they looked at his face and they saw that it was like an angel. That's what the Bible says. Most likely it was supernaturally emanating light in some way. And because of this, they could tell that he spent time with God. But they still pressed forward. And they asked Stephen to answer these accusations if they're true. Well, Stephen was hoping that they would ask him that, right? Because this gave him an opportunity to preach the gospel. Stephen has to know that what he's about to say could mean imprisonment, beatings, and maybe death. So you would think that he would calm down a little bit, right? And water down the message. But he doesn't. He gives them the unabashed truth. He goes all the way back to Moses and Abraham and tells the story of God's relentless pursuit of his people. But also, God's people, Israel, how they constantly turned away from him towards their sin. He talks about Jacob and Joseph and how God was there all along and David and Solomon and through all of it, God was with you. But yet you rejected him and he spoke to you and you didn't listen and this is Stephen's sermon as he stands before these men for 50 verses. And this is where it crescendos. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. 
They had every chance. They had prophets. They had uh, the faith fathers. They had angels that tried to get the... God spoke to them directly and they rejected and they rejected and they killed the prophets and they turned around from God and they served other idols. I'm sure this was a tough message to hear for the listeners here. The rejection of Jesus was the culmination of the Jewish people rejecting God, his will, and the prophets. But I guess it's not that weird that they rejected the gospel now in this passage because they had done it before over and over again. And their pride had gotten in the way and their stubbornness had gotten in the way and they didn't want to lose power. God's spirit is trying to work on them, but they were stubborn and they resisted. And it's an amazing thing when you look at God's word, how many times people who think they're right can do something. People that think they're working on behalf of God can do something like killing Jesus. And then here we're going to see what happens next because the situation finally boils over and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were enraged. And the Bible says they grit their teeth and they began to surround Stephen. And right in this moment, Stephen looks up, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gets a glimpse of Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he tells them, he says, I see Jesus standing on the right hand of God, which is a place of honor and a place of power. And this kind of echoes what happened earlier in the New Testament where the heavens opened and God spoke his approval of Jesus' baptism. And in this moment, God is showing his approval on Stephen as well. And Stephen makes it clear that they had rejected the Messiah and killed him and that he rose again. And now he says, I see him standing in a place of honor and power. Well, the religious and political leaders finally snap. They plug their ears and they cry out with a loud voice. You probably did that as a kid, right? I can't hear you. And they rush towards Stephen, verse 58. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Check this next part out. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. We talk a lot about wanting to be like Jesus, right? We look at each other and say, yeah, guys, let's do it. Let's be like Jesus. But what about when this is what it looks like? Suffering for the gospel. Being bold in our message, even when it costs us something. Forgiving people that hurt us the most. Stephen did something amazing when he asked for forgiveness for these people as they hurled large rocks at his body. You'll be hard-pressed to ever find an example of a person that looks more like Jesus in a moment. Stephen is following in Jesus' example. You remember Jesus on the cross said those words, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Stephen here in this passage follows in the same footsteps in his death. 
This type of supernatural forgiveness is impossible without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Even though Stephen had just delivered a pointed sermon that they hated, they didn't like it, they were offended, his point was not to make them mad. His hope that they would find forgiveness. And he spoke the hard truth to them, and he spoke it in love. Love has the hard conversations. Stephen is the first martyr for the gospel. He was brutally murdered with large stones. An act of violence like this turns our stomach. We have a picture here, which is the first signed painting of the artist Rembrandt. At the age of 19 in 1625, he tried to depict this act of violence. It's a beautiful picture. I imagine in real life it was much more gory. There's also a dude there that, uh, named Saul who was a young Pharisee. Josh talked about him a few weeks ago. And it's amazing the change that happened with this man, Saul, who would later become the apostle Paul. But here, Paul is participating in this shocking act of injustice. There were signs all along the way that something like this would happen. But the apostles didn't quit spending their lives for the gospel. Even when they were told over and over again to stop talking about Jesus. We don't like it when you talk about Jesus. And even when they were beaten or when division came in the church or when they were imprisoned or even when they faced death. Instead of quitting, instead of giving up, they said we must obey God rather than man. And when it gets rough, the gospel's too important to be quiet or to stop caring or to let someone else's actions make me give up or to sink into apathy. The apostles didn't quit even though it was obvious that things were getting harder. Michael Haubman says this. He said the words of Colossians 3, 2, and 3 could have been written about the life of Jesus, or excuse me, Stephen, even though they are applicable to all believers. And here's those verses. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden in Christ with God. Stephen's life, even more so in his death, should be an example of how every believer should strive to live, committed to the Lord, even in the face of death, faithful to preach the gospel boldly, knowledgeable of God's truth, and willing to be used for his plan and his purpose. Stephen's testimony still stands as a beacon, a light to a lost and dying world. Too often, we are people that are like, man, I don't know if I want to step into this thing that God's calling me to do. Or maybe I want this other type of uh, gifting or this other type of job. And I'm sure Stephen would not have volunteered to be like, I want to be the first martyr. So today I have two questions for Jesus followers as we look at this history of the early church and the power of the Holy Spirit working as the apostles acted out the message of the gospel. The first one is this. What made you quit? What made you quit? A church hurt is a real thing. 
There are churches that have manipulated people, abused and deeply hurt people. That is a fact. I've seen it. I've felt it at times. And there are times that it does make sense to step back and heal and take a season of rest. But some of us disengaged years and years ago because of church hurt. And we've harbored and fostered that pain. And maybe we're still living in it. At some point, you have to stop picking at it and let that wound heal. The gospel's too important for you to try and opt out. The great commandment and the great commission are to love God and love people and go. Even when you've been hurt, that's still your purpose. The early church faced all kinds of hurt and pain and hardship. It's not new. It will happen again. But you are too important to check out for the rest of your life. At some point, you have to stop letting the past control your future. You have to approach it. You have to work through it and come out on the other side and have faith and hope that God will do something big with you. Don't quit. Don't let the enemy have a seat at your table and distract you for the rest of your life. Stephen looked at these people as they hurled large stones at them and said, Father, forgive them. That's what we need to do and then move on for the gospel. If you have a running list of things that people have done to you, that's not forgiveness. You've got to work through it. If a topic comes up and all of a sudden you find yourselves emotional and reliving these problems in the past and you, someone says something and now you're 45 minutes into a story about your hurt and pain, you haven't worked through it, you haven't forgave, and you need to get to that point. Because the devil is using these things to keep you on the sidelines. Now church burnout is a real thing too. In my first real job in church, I was a youth pastor, children's ministry pastor, worship leader, choir director, sound team coordinator, website and social media director, nursing home ministry leader, van ministry driver, and none of that is a joke. That's all the hats that I wore at that church. It was not sustainable. I said yes to everything, and I didn't last long there. And I got in that position because church leaders over me did not protect me from my own enthusiasm. They should have saw the load that I was carrying and tried to help me be sustainable. And it also, I got myself in that position because I didn't set up healthy boundaries for myself and I didn't know how to say no. And maybe you got burnt out at a church at some point and you needed a break. That's awesome. I hope we are wise enough as a church to never let you get to that place. But burnout, while it needs attention and healing, is not an excuse to opt out of the mission and the purpose of the church to love God and to love people and go. Maybe what tripped you up was not those things. Maybe it was sin. And if you haven't dealt with it, remember that we just looked at a story and an account in the Bible where God is still trying to draw People that tried to kill him to himself. This is an opportunity. Stephen preaches in the gospel one last time before they kill him. The Holy Spirit's still trying to draw them in, but they rejected again. 
And I don't know what sin in your life has paralyzed you, whether it's pride, pornography, anger, gossip, addiction, bitterness. I don't know what it is. But I know that God is bigger and he's not done with you yet. If you're not dead, God's not done. We just saw Paul hold the coats as someone was murdered. And then later, after God gets a hold of him, writes half of the New Testament and goes and is the greatest missionary perhaps of all time. God found a way to use him. So what made you quit? Whether it's church hurt or burnout or sin, maybe you do need to take time on the sidelines to heal and recover. And maybe, yes, what you can do now has changed. You can't do the thing you used to do because you got caught up in sin there. But God has something for you still. Don't stay there forever. We need you. The mission is too big. So that's the first question. The second one's much shorter. The first one is what made you quit? And the second one is what is going to make you quit? What are these things that we mentioned that you're on the verge of? Watch out. You are important. We need you. Don't let church hurt paralyze you. Don't fall into burnout. Don't let sin take you down. Don't sink into apathy. The early church faced real persecution, but they kept their eyes on Jesus. And that's too often what we do. We look at our pain and we look at the, how tired we are and we look at our own sin and we take our eyes off of Jesus. And when we'll do that and we'll turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full on his wonderful face, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Maybe you used to serve but got burnt out or hurt, whether here or at another church, and you're afraid it's going to happen again. Don't get stuck in fear. Step out in hope. Have faith that God is bigger and don't give up. With every head's bowed and eyes closed as the band is going to come. This is a hard story to look at when I think about the things that I complain about. When I think about the things that get me distracted and the things that I worry about, the things that I put my time into thinking about. I want to be like Stephen because Stephen was like Jesus. And I want to keep loving the people that are hurting me. And I want to keep uh, living out the gospel with my life. I, I want to be a picture of God's love to this world, even when people are rejecting it. What made you quit? Maybe it's time for you to jump back in. Set your affections on things above. What's going to make you quit? Maybe you've offended people. And maybe you've gotten in a situation where you've 
burned a lot of bridges and you've got to go and repair those things. Maybe you need to put up boundaries and be willing to say no when you're at your limit. Taking time for rest and recovery, but then jumping back in. Maybe you need to forgive supernaturally through the Holy Spirit and you need God to do a special work in your life because what someone has done to you is horrible. Forgiveness is not saying what they did was okay. Forgiveness is you stop living in it, in that hurt and that pain. Maybe you're that person you needed to get some sin right in your life before you can jump back in. And there's some problems that you've got to work on. It's not going to happen on accident. Nothing good ever happens in our life unintentionally, or rarely anyway. We've got to work on it. We've got to be intentional. We've got to set some goals. Jesus was the suffering servant, putting others first and dying for them. And here we saw Stephen act out that example of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's on the move. Jesus gave us a mission, and this is what it looks like when you act it out. The band's going to play here in just a minute. We'll get out of this hot sanctuary. But we don't want to think past this moment right now. Where are you at? Maybe you are full on, full steam ahead on serving Jesus. And you're asking him, God, what do you want me to do? And daily you're looking for opportunities to live out the example of Christ. Or maybe you're the one that got hurt and it was legitimate. Or you got burned out or sin got in your life and, and you had to quit. You had to take some time. But now it's time to jump back in. Can't stay there forever. If you're not dead, God's not done with you. Or maybe you're that person that's teetering on the verge. And you're getting into an unhealthy place. Wherever you're at today, we have a mission. And we have a responsibility. And there are people that need the message of the gospel. There are people that need the hands and feet of Christ. And it's too big for us to quit, to get distracted, or to stay on the sidelines forever. Why don't you call out to God and ask, you, uh, ask him where you're at right now? Ask him to search your heart. Maybe it's full of bitterness or hurt or pain, and you've got to work through that before you jump back in. Maybe it's sin, or maybe it's been a long time, and it happened a long time ago, and you're in a better place, but you haven't jumped back in yet. We need you. Maybe you're here today, and you're not sure that you're even yet a follower of Jesus. You're not sure that heaven will be your home when you die. You don't know for sure that if you die today, that you have a relationship with God. Well, sin, we talked about a little bit, is, is what keeps us from God. God gave us a free will. And because we have that choice, we have the choice to choose the opposite of what he wants us to do, and that's called sin. And over and over again, for thousands of years, humanity has chosen themselves 
over God and rejected his way over and over again. And that's how we led to where we are today. But 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh came. His name was Jesus. And he lived a perfect and a holy life for 33 years. And he did miracles and he taught people and he showed us how to live. And then an innocent person died for all of us guilty people. He laid himself down on a cross and died in our place. There's a punishment that we deserve for our sin, a separation from God forever in a place called hell. But Jesus paid that price already. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can make that choice today. You need to know you're a sinner. There's a penalty for that sin. Jesus paid the penalty. And no amount of works can put you in God's favor. You simply have to believe on Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation. We're going to sing. And as we sing, let's keep this attitude of prayer, asking God to search our hearts, those of us that are Jesus followers. Ask God where we're at and what we need to sustain our walk with him. Or maybe you're that one that you're not sure yet that you are a Christian. Hey, take this time to call out to God. You can sit in your seat and bow your head. You can uh, close your eyes and, and let everyone else sing. Whatever you got to do, this is too big of a decision to just go past it. And if you do make that decision today, we'd love for you to just write that on your connection card and let us know that you made that huge decision. Let's sing.